Okay, so uh, I'm gonna look over here and Caleb, I. Oh, that, no, that, okay, I saw it wrong. Cheryl Mendoza on Facebook. We have different platforms where qu uh, questions are being given to us. So Cheryl Mendoza on Facebook said, my question is, do we also tithe off any money that you get blessed with, like a birthday gift money? Uh, do you tithe off any money you get blessed with, like a birthday gift money? So if you're not sure, let's make sure we're on the same page. Uh, the word tithe means tenth. And uh, the Bible teaches the first 10% that comes in uh, to us, we give back to God. So if whatever comes into us, we give the first 10% back to God. So if I get $100 and in a, in a gift or a check, then I'm going to give $10 to the Lord because I always give a tenth back to God to show I love him to show he's first. So you always do it first. First thing you do with anything, you give to God to show he's first in your life. And the other is to say, God, it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. And in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, you should tithe, yes. Uh, but by the way, I want you to turn to Proverbs 3 uh, to get an answer to Cheryl's question. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, and so uh, I want you to look at that um, and with me. So right now, go ahead and turn to that, Proverbs chapter 3. And, and so the idea of tithing is an idea of love. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Uh, so uh, Pam and I, we get an income like everybody else does, but we also have other ways that we are able to get money. And uh, very often someone will get moved and want to give to us and, and give a gift to us uh, uh, just like any of you. So what do we do in that moment? How do we handle that? Well, in Matthew chapter three, or Proverbs chapter three, Proverbs chapter three, we'll start in verse seven to get context. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now that means make sure you live your life according to what Jesus and God uh, tell you, what the Bible tells you. Make sure you do that. Don't think you know better than God. Don't think you know better than Jesus. Don't think you know better than the Bible. So what does it go on to say here about this? It says it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Then verse nine, honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, from the first of all the produce that comes your way. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then he says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. So here's what, here's what Proverbs is saying. And, and this is not the only place. Throughout the Bible, we get the same truth taught to us. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth. That means as God blesses you, as your wealth begins to grow, when you say, God, you've just done something extra for me, you give him what's called an offering. And, and so that is not done every time or every week. The offering's given as you just really are interacting with God and say, Lord, you're blessing me. And by the way, if you've been around Crossroads very long, you know this, we're blessed to be a blessing right? We're blessed to be a blessing. So whenever I, I look at the blessings God's given me, I want to bless God, bless others, bless God, bless others. By the way, Jesus said this. Uh, he said, it's more blessed to give than to what? Does anybody know? Put it in the chat. It's more blessed to give than receive. And so when I am blessed and I give to God and give to others, I get more blessed because it's more blessed to give than receive. And so it starts a cycle of blessing in my life, which is what I want you to experience. Uh, but that's the offering. Now, let's go to the tithe. It says in, in verse uh, nine, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The first is that first 10%. 
That's the tithe. So the tithe belongs to God. When I give the tithe to God, I'm not giving to God. I'm returning to God because it belongs to him. He said all the tithe is to be brought to him and all the tithes to be brought to the storehouse. It would the temple back then, the church today. So we always do that. So I believe Pam and I practice that the first 10% of anything that comes our way, we give back to God. Uh, Because it all belongs to him anyway. And I love God. And I want to say to him, you blessed me. And so I want to bless you and I want to bless others. And God, I want to live my life giving offerings to you and tithes to you, my first 10% to you. And then I also want to live my life uh, blessing you and blessing others. So my belief is whatever comes in, however it comes in, first thing you do, Lord, first 10% is yours. Then after a while, you begin to evaluate, say, God, I'm in season of blessing. I want to give an offering to you. Uh, By the way, uh, uh, I believe that God loves that. I believe God loves that because you know what you're doing is, is God loves when you say to you, him, I'm, I believe that you provide for me and I believe I want to give gifts to you and bless you, God. And it does bless the Lord when we do that. So when we say bless the Lord, oh, my soul, one way we do that is by giving tithes and offerings to God. So anyway, hope that helped Cheryl. Uh, and uh, I want to just give you some insight on that. And uh, we'll go to the next question right now. Question number two. Burdell, who's on Church Online platform. Hey, Church Online, all you guys can shout out to her there and say hi to Burdell and she'll see it. Um, And so here's what it says. Since Cain showed no remorse or true repentance for murdering Abel, but simply appealed to God out of fear for his own life, why did God uh, appoint a sign to protect him from retribution? Hey, that's a really, really good one. And so uh, I want to have everybody turn in their Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. And, and I want to show you what, what uh, happened in this moment. I want you to have a very good understanding of what the mark of Cain is. I don't know if you've ever heard of the mark of Cain, but God marks Cain. And why would God do that? Uh, and she's asking a really good question. Uh, she's asking, you know what? Uh, he didn't show any real repentance. He was just afraid of the consequence of what was coming his way. So why did God do that? And why did God protect him? Which shows me, Burdell, you probably understand the mark of Cain. So I'm going to give you props for that, okay? But let's go ahead and go to do what's happening. So what happened in Genesis chapter 4 is that um, Cain and Abel, who were the first two sons of Adam and Eve, they brought uh, offerings to God uh, and sacrifice to God. uh, and, And so in this moment, they're coming to worship God together, probably the whole family with them. But Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Uh, Abel brings an offering of a lamb. Uh, It's going to be uh, a blood offering. Now, the offering of the fruit of the ground was a thanksgiving offering. The offering of the lamb was an asking for forgiveness of sin. And so what, what Cain was doing, he was thanking God, which is not necessarily bad, but he wasn't coming saying, forgive me. He wasn't coming humbling himself before God. And so what happens is it says that God uh, was not pleased with what Cain had done because there's pride there. There was too much pride in him. And so he warns him in that moment uh, not to live a prideful life uh, by, because he's not going to, to accept that offering and, and, and have him feel like it's okay to be prideful. But he does, he does accept Abel's offering. When Abel says, God, forgive me, God, help me, God, be with me. And he accepts him and says, yes, I'll forgive you. Yes, I'll love you. Well, Cain gets very angry. He's embarrassed by it. He feels he's better than Abel. I have other reasons to tell you why he would have thought in that. But but he feels he's better than Abel. 
And, and so now in that moment, he gets so angry and so upset. And what does God do? God goes to him in verse uh, four, verse five, uh, or verse, verse six, actually verse six. The Lord goes to Cain and says, why are you angry? So verse six, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? In other words, I can see it on your face. Have you ever seen on someone's face when they're upset? It's like, okay, why are you that upset? Why are you so upset? It's showing on your face. And God says, why are you angry? In verse seven, God says this to Cain. He's, he's trying to keep him from doing something very wrong. He said, if you do well, if, 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 that's a big deal. You have a choice here. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Will not you, you'll come back. You'll feel better. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it's desirous for you, but you must master it. Now, don't miss this before I get to the actual answer. God is saying to Cain, you have a choice in what you're going to do. You have a choice in how you act and a choice in how you feel. By the way, you and I, we have a choice in how we act. We have a choice in how we feel. Uh, we can choose to, to not let our anger control us and, and emotions control us and, and act faithfully to God or not. Uh, we can not let circumstances or other people dictate who we are, how we act, how we're motivated, how we feel. And so God is telling him that. He goes, everybody has a choice. He says, but I want to tell you, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Let me tell you that that's true for all of us. When we begin to, to give in to the emotions, give in to the bad attitude, give in to the, and in this season in the, you know, of, of safer at home, the season of feeling locked in and, and not being able to be free, a lot of us can be more irritable. You can choose not to be that way. And, and he says, but if you don't, sin is crouching at the door. It's like this hideous creature hiding in the dark, ready to pounce on you. And have you ever had that happen to you? How, what does that mean? It means that, have you ever had yourself all of a sudden, man, you're exploding and you're doing all the wrong things and saying all the wrong thing. And you thought, why? Why did I let myself get there? Sin got you. Sin was crouching at the door and it got you and it took over and you're responsible for that. Why? Because the very end of verse seven, he says, but you must master it. It's if you do well, will you not be lifted up? And don't you know you can master this? You can master this. You can overcome any sin. You can overcome any habit. You can overcome any uh, 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 situation if you trust in God. And God says, you must, you must, you must choose to go that way. So he says to Cain, I know what you're thinking. I see how upset you are. I know what's going on in your heart and mind. And if you don't do that, you're going to be better off. Don't do it. Verse 8. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The first, first murder in the Bible was a brother killing a brother out of jealousy, out of pride, out of giving in, not controlling himself. Um, and, and God had warned him not to do that. It says in verse nine, then the Lord said to Cain, Hey, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, we're not going to dig into that too much. Real quick answer. Yes. You and I are brother's keeper. Verse 10, God said to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, if you, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's too great to bear. I can't 
live that way. I can't handle that. And uh, then he says in verse 14, Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. In other words, I can't be in your presence anymore, God. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And so he is afraid. He is scared. He's overwhelmed with uh, what, what he's done. Guilt. Uh, there does appear he didn't repent, but he does have guilt. And uh, in this moment, verse 15, it says, So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Now, catch why. And Burdell, actually, you, uh, you actually, I'm positive, understood that part. The mark on Cain was actually a sign of grace. It was not a curse. It was a sign of grace and not a curse. It was a sign of protection. It was a sign of saying no one's to hurt him. And so it was something done very loving by God. I want to mark you as someone that no one should hurt or harm. I want you to be cared for. I don't want other people to take vengeance on you. And so in that moment, God did something. He offered Cain an opportunity to have grace. He offered him an opportunity to, to have freedom. He offered him, and get ready for this, an opportunity not to have the sin he did define his life. Too many people, and, and listen in, because lean in on this. I want to make sure I try to say this in a way you can understand. Too many people are living their life uh, defined by past sin, by shame, by guilt. Uh, the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance or produces repentance. Uh, not to be regretted. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. Godly sorrow uh, uh, produces rep repentance, uh, uh, not to be regretted. In other words, it, it causes me to go, you know, Lord, out of my sorrow over what I did, I want to live a better life. I don't want to live that way anymore. But when we live by shame and guilt, we stay in that definition, that defining moment. Everybody has sinned. Matter of fact, right now, if you're watching with other people, point at them and say, you're a sinner. <laughs> you can point at me at the TV or the screen and say, Chuck, you're a sinner. I am. I'm a sinner. But guess what I am? I'm a sinner saved by what? Grace. And, and you know what? Hopefully you could look at the people around you and look at yourself and say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the blood of Jesus Christ was shed so that I could be forgiven. And just like the blood of Abel cried out to convict Cain, the blood of Jesus cries out to free me and to free you. And so in that moment, God was even pointing Cain to something that was pretty incredible. One day I will, I will send my son to walk the earth. One day my son will die and his blood will be shed to call out in a way that says forgiveness and freedom can be ours if we would commit our lives to God, if we would live our life for Jesus Christ. So in this moment, God is giving God is giving Cain an opportunity to come repent. Uh, it doesn't appear he ever does. Um, and sadly, it looks like uh, we're going to watch uh, a thing happen that I'll be preaching on uh, uh, sometime soon called the generational curse, uh, where Cain's sin will be passed down to other generations and we would see another murder take place uh, because someone couldn't control their temper. But anyway, hope that helps in answering your question. Uh, and uh, good, good question. All right, so... Uh, 
Canine. Oh my gosh, do I love that as your call out uh, handle. Canine. Man, I love dogs. Anybody else love dogs out there? Man, I love dogs. Uh, if you do, you know, say, man, I love dogs. Put it in the, in, in the, um, uh, on the chat. So anyway, canine on church online, another church online. So all of you on church online do a shout out to canine. And, and I love that. He says, why or he or she, she says, why are some verses such as John seven fifty three to eight eleven not in some of the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Bible? Uh, were they added? And if so, do they truly belong in the Bible? Man, that is a great question. Uh, so I, I want you to turn with me uh, to one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. Uh, and that'll be John chapter 7. Uh, and let's go there together. Uh, uh, John, actually, it's seven fifty three to eight eleven. So at the end of John 7. Uh, and, and watch what happens in this super famous story in the Bible that a lot of people are surprised about that question being asked because that question's right. Um, so, uh, and, and so what happens is uh, 753, if you have your Bibles, has probably an asterisk or a footnote. Uh, and, and so if you have your Bibles open, look at that. It has an asterisk or a footnote. Mine has an asterisk. Uh, I have a paper Bible that has a footnote. And it says these words, John 7, 53 through John 8, 11 are not in the earliest manuscripts. Now, let's make sure uh, I'm going to over communicate because some of you know this, others don't. So we want everyone to know um, the, the, the. Bible was written on manuscripts, on papyrus uh, scrolls. And so it, it was, they were very expensive, very hard to get. Uh, they, they could become very brittle and break. And so what happened is there were these people called scribes. Now a scribe was an expert at, tra at taking what was on one scroll and copying it onto another. Uh, and they were experts at it. They were meticulous at it. And they'd had checks and balance systems to make sure they got it word for word every single time. Uh, and if, if it got caught and there was a minor problem, well, they sometimes would correct that on that new uh, uh, scroll. Uh, other times they would just burn the scroll because they thought, you know what, we're not going to let anything even be close to off because they love the word of God so much. Uh, on that first day of the day of Pentecost, by the way, many scribes gave their lives to Christ. And so they continued on not only translating the Old Testament or it's uh, being scribal people for the Old Testament uh, to make more scrolls. They did it for the New Testament too. And again, they were experts at what they did with lots of checks and balances. Now, because of that, and because of a love for the Old Testament, a love for the New Testament, we have incredible numbers of manuscripts uh, that are that were scattered all over the, the Roman world at that time and even into parts of Africa and, and in other places around the world. That's a big deal because if you ever ask the question, how do we know the Bible's true? Those, those manuscripts, when they're discovered, they, they align together. In other words, they all, they all say the same thing. They all have the same, uh, they don't have passages because there weren't verses in the, in chapters in the, in, for about three, four, a thousand years, uh, before the Bible had those added, uh, just for sake of helping find things. But, but here's where I'm going. So now what happens is we are able to take all of this, what called manuscript evidence, bring them together so that we know the Bible we have today aligns and is accurate to the original. So we, we have 100% confidence when we're reading uh, that we actually are reading the words of Mark or Matthew or Paul or, or, or you know, Luke. And, and so we can look at that and know we have those words provided by God, protected by God. God did that to protect them. So when someone ever says, well, the Bible was changed, the answer would be, that's impossible. 
because you would have to have discovered thousands of scrolls that had been hidden uh, because the Romans threatened to burn them. And then when, as they've been discovered, they all align. I hope that helps. So now what happens, there are certain verses we know aren't in the oldest manuscripts. And so they are in later manuscripts. Uh, they may have been added because people uh, thought by tradition they should be there. Uh, they may have been added by a, scribal, uh, 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 a scribe who was trying to give an idea of a better understanding. Or he may have uh, uh, inadvertently copied another verse and put it in that spot. And so uh, all of those are footnoted. Uh, and so what I want you to know, you could trust the Bible. This is a way, it's actually a proof the Bible's true. This is a big deal. You could trust the Bible. But what I would want you to know too, is that some of those, you know, we, we can read it and, and understand, okay, that's probably not in the original. Um, but it's, it's something that the, that was taught. It was something that was believed. Does it have the same inspirational, um, value? Uh, no. No, although quite a few of those don't. Uh, the end of Mark chapter 16, it, it's good to read that that was things that were taught. But look for the footnote. No, it doesn't have the same inspirational value. In other words, you can't give it the same authority, same source of authority, same authority in your life of all the other places we know are in the Bible. So there's only a few of those. But when then we come to this one. Uh, and uh, this one is probably one that rocks people because uh, I want to read it to you because it's so popular and, and, and so taught on and so good. And I teach on it, but it's in, John chapter eight, verse one, it says, but when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, or in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying is testing him so they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they had persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Uh, I don't know about you. When I read that, I actually very often get emotional. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. By the way, they, they bring her to Jesus trying to trap him, getting him to condemn her. Then the Romans would see him uh, as an enemy of this uh, of Rome, and so they would arrest him. But if he doesn't say enact justice on her, then all the Jewish people will say you can't be of God because she was committing adultery. Now Jesus had a way to get out of this. By the way, he could have said the law, the law of Moses is very clear. You have to bring the man and the woman. They didn't do that, by the way. So they were even violating the law of Moses. But Jesus doesn't do it. He turns the tables. He writes on the ground. They're badgering him, saying, it says stone her, it says stone her, it says stone her. But he won't, he won't be pressured. And then he says those words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And uh, 
it says the older ones get it first. Uh-oh, we can't do that. And so they go walking away, leaving the rocks behind. And then eventually he's just there alone with the woman. And uh, I love that section where he says, where are your accusers? Now, um, I also loved, I, I always think of this, I may be the only one who thinks this is funny, is Jesus could have said, where are they? Where, where is it? And she could have said, no one, Lord. He could have said, well, this isn't your day because, hey, I don't have sin. <laughs> you better run. I'm going to nail you. And I'm Jesus. I won't miss. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anybody else out there think that's funny? I just really, I think he could have said that. He didn't have any sin. So he could have condemned her, but he wouldn't. And um, he says, now go now and sin no more. By the way, I don't want you to forget the last part, go and sin no more. It wasn't okay what you're doing. It's time to live a better life. It's time to repent and, and, now, and now know love and, and know what it means to, to live in purity. And so he, he does that. Now back to the question. This isn't in the earliest manuscripts, or at least quite a few of them. Quite a few of the earliest manuscripts, which we tend to go to first, don't have this story in it. So what do we do with this story? Well, number one, let's acknowledge that. Let's acknowledge that it's not in the earliest manuscripts. The second thing we could say, though, is this. Is it possible, and it is possible, that some of those scrolls, uh, uh, this would have been the section that was on the outer area that broke off. And that over the course of time, this, this actually should have been in there, but it actually uh, was so brittle, the scrolls got so brittle that they broke off the earlier ones. Uh, because, by the way, you couldn't fit all the book of John on one scroll, so they'd be on multiple scrolls. So is that possible? And the answer it is, but is that a good enough reason to go, well, okay, we'll hang on to this. Uh, another thing to think about is this. While it's not in the earliest manuscripts, it is in an incredible number of manuscripts meaning that a, a, a huge number of people believe that this event actually occurred and occurred at this point. Uh, and so uh, we would say this, that while it, it, has, it, it may have verbal accuracy, in other words, a story that was handed down, and there are parts of the Bible that we, we cherish today and hold on to that that would be true of. Uh, for instance, the book of Job. Uh, Job predates the life of Moses. Uh, and so, but it was a story handed down that Moses was inspired by God to write. And so it had verbal authority coming with it. Uh, the other thing we would say is this, is this is very, uh, um, in har- very much in harmony with Jesus. The Jesus you read about in all the rest of the New Testament acted this way. The Jesus we read about and know, this is true to his character. Uh, Jesus defended those who were being accused and attacked and held down and oppressed. Jesus freed people who were living lives that weren't right. Zacchaeus would be one. And what did he do? He came into a town that hated Zacchaeus. He went to his house to eat. Uh, which was a sign of fellowship. Uh, And that's why when we say, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock and anyone who opens up to me, I'll come and I'll eat with him. That's a sign of fellowship. And and then we see a true repentance happen in Zacchaeus's life as Jesus comes to transform him like he does this woman. So what we would say is it's true to the character of Jesus in harmony with what we know of him. Uh, It is in many, many manuscripts. Uh, And it it just just seems to be cited uh, in other places. Now, is there anything in this story that would contradict anything about Jesus in the New Testament? No, no. So we will cherish the story. 
Um, but we have to always go to authority somewhere else. So can I go to a, another passage of scripture that talks about forgiveness? Well, yes, there's an incredible number of, of, of verses that talk about forgiveness. First uh, John chapter uh, one, verse nine says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, that's what he did to this woman. So my source of authority doesn't have to be the story. It can be that verse. And I know I can have forgiveness from God. Um, I, when it says go now and sin no more, oh, that, that's all through the Bible, <laughs> uh, you know, to actually go and live a life of purity and holiness and, and, and not live this way. Uh, in first Thessalonians chapter four, it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then later on, it says who he who rejects that, got that, uh, uh, this, this will is rejecting God. Uh, and so whoever rejects the teaching of purity and not being sexually immoral is rejecting God and rejecting God's will. And so uh, that's where a source of authority comes. But here he says, go and sin no more. So in other words, I go to other scripture that I get that tell me that this is, a, that this is the way Jesus would want us to live. So I hope that helps. Uh, I want to say this, if I've kind of lost you, uh, what we know is this, that the very fact we know there's a question about this shows us we can trust all the rest of the Bible. See, that's what's so cool. Textual criticism is what we call that. So there are people who dedicate their lives uh, to what's called textual criticism, which just, man, praise God for those people because they show that, that we can trust the Bible and, and trust what's true. And so I think you, uh, I don't know about you, I, I praise God for that. So uh, great, great question. Um, and I just hope that was meaningful for you. Uh, we're going to go to one more. Jordan, who's on Church Online. Hey, Church Online, man, you just rocked the questions. Uh, Facebook, I love your questions too, and 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 uh, YouTube and and Instagram even. But but tonight, for some reason, we all were, a, well, not all, I guess we have Church Online kind of ruling uh, a little bit. So Jordan on Church Online, my question today is regarding the Old Testament and the New. Are there contradictions? Okay, good question. Or is it simply the way one may interpret for example, uh, Exodus 20.12, if we read Exodus 20.12 and compare it to Matthew 10.35 and Luke 14.26. That's a deep question. That's a good question. Man, you're studying your word, Jordan. I, I, I want to say, um, you know, I, I want to do a shout out to you right now. Matter of fact, people in the chat say, good job, Jordan, because this shows me you're thinking deeply. You're studying well, and uh, I, I really appreciate that, that you uh, are, are getting to something that's really deep in this. So what I need to do, let's see here if I can get to it quickly. Um, so I want to go to Exodus uh, 20, verse 12, uh, and then Matthew 10, 35, Matthew 10, 35. So let me get to Exodus 20, 12 real quick, uh, and Matthew uh, 10, uh, 35. So if you're not at Exodus 20, 12, you want to go there first. Um, and so we're going to be in the 10 commandments. Uh, and so what I want you to do is go there. And so one of the 10 commandments, matter of fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter six says that we are to obey the 10 commandments, by the way. And he says, especially this one, because it's the first one with a promise. That's what Paul says. And so, uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. So if you haven't done it yet, try to get to Exodus 20, 12 and especially Matthew 10. Uh, but my answer will include Luke 14. So the question again is, 
Uh, is there a contradiction between the Old and New Testament? The answer is no, there's not. Uh, when you understand uh, uh, what, who, who was being spoken to, what was being said to them, how does that apply to me? You'll find there's no contradictions in all the Bible. So that's one thing I want to tell you, old and new included. Same God uh, uh, who inspired the old, inspired the new, uh, and he doesn't change, and he is a God of love, and he is a God of justice, and all of that's true in all of them. Uh, and so what about some of those verses, you go, but wait a minute, it seems like they could contradict each other. So in Exodus 20, uh, verse 12, it says this, honor your father and your mother. And then the promise Paul pointed out that your days may be prolonged in the land, which the Lord, your God gives you. So honor your father and mother is a, as a calling of God that we're to always hold on to. But what happened is Jesus comes. And so in Jesus and Matthew 10 says something. And the question is, wait a minute, how does this apply when it says honor your father and mother? And so we'll actually start in, uh, let's go to verse 34, actually, to get some context here. Um, and uh, actually go to verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who's in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And listen to what Jesus goes on to say. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Uh, in the um, Ten Commandments, the very first commandment that's there. Um, and, and by the way, the reason I'm going to this is to show how all this goes together. and doesn't contradict each other. Is you shall have no other gods before me. And uh, you, that you will uh, put God first in everything in your life is what that means. That, that nothing will come before God in you. You won't love God or anything more than God. You love God 3,000, and uh, nobody else gets to 3,000, okay? Uh, and, and, and so what we do is we do that. So we love God and we love others, but no one, no one comes ahead of God. In my life, I love my wife, Pam, and she's watching right now. And Pam, you know I love you, but I love God more. By the way, I know this, Pam loves God more than me. If it came down to me or God, there's not even a question what Pam would do. Uh, good news, it's never gonna come to that, hun. I promise that. Uh, but here's what I want to tell you is that, is that Jesus is saying, I want you to know that you can't love father or mother more than me. You can't love son or daughter more than me. You, if you do, you're not worthy of me. Now, some people go, man, I don't know if I can handle that. But here's what I want to tell you. This is what I know is true. And the Bible teaches, if I will love Jesus first and most, I'll love others better. If I love other people, it, it shifts pretty quickly to conditional love. Believe it or not, without, there's almost no way for you to stop that. It'll happen. And I'm telling you that as a pastor, and I'm telling you that as a counselor. And there's almost no way to stop that. But if Jesus becomes the one you're committed to, the one you love the most, more than yourself, more than anyone else, you will love others better and get ready for this. You'll love yourself better. So here we have this passage that says, honor your father and mother. And I'll bless you if you do that. 
And Jesus comes and says, he's calling people to, to make a decision. So I want you to know, who is he talking to? He's talking to people that he's challenging to make a decision to follow him. He's challenging them to, to make a real commitment to him. Not, a, uh, not, not just well, words of your mouth. He warns about, don't just honor me with your lips, honor me from your heart. So he's saying to people, don't go through motions. You've got to make a real true commitment to me. So what he's saying is that means you need to make sure nothing or anyone, no thing or no person ever comes before me in your love and, and, and never comes ahead of me. And so that's where Jesus is going with this. And then he, he says, I want to tell you what's going to happen for many people. Uh, you're not going to count. You're, you're going to have your family go to war over this. Because some of you will love me and other parts of your family won't. But I'm telling you, choose me. Follow me. Uh, in my own family, I love my oldest son. A lot. <laughs> Not more than Jesus, but a lot. But my son doesn't walk with the Lord. And that's a dividing rod between us. There's been division over that. Uh, and so, you know, let me tell you what, though. I still love my son. And interestingly, he still loves me. But is there a point where we're at odds. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, there is. There's been a, 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 it does, it's, it's, there's a lack of peace very often uh, at times there. And we've had to keep working. I'm not going to stop loving him, but I'm not going to bend or move away from my commitment to follow Christ, uh, you know, just so I could have peace with him. Um, I know lots of people who've had to make that call. Uh, when I was at uh, Christ Church of the Valley as the next gen pastor, um, we had an incredible guy come to us from Cal Poly. Uh, he was uh, uh, from a, a Chinese Buddhist family. And uh, he had been raised in Buddhism. And his family was very committed to Buddhism. And there was a Buddhist temple right there in Hacienda Heights. And he comes to, to Christ Church of the Valley where I'm a pastor. And he was he used to come to nights where I answer his questions. And he had a lot of questions. I mean, that guy was sharp. He's still sharp to this day. I mean, he guy knows his stuff. But he ended up feeling like Jesus was real. Christianity was true. And I'll never forget, we sat outside on some steps and he started to cry. Big guy started to cry. And he said, if I give my life to Christ, my family's going to kick me out. What do I do? I'll lose my family. And I said, you got to choose Jesus. You got to choose the Lord. I said, it's hard. I, I can't even imagine what you're feeling or going through. But Jesus is clear. You can't put father or mother above him. And so he did. He, he prayed that night and gave his life to Christ. He got baptized, which, oh my goodness, getting baptized was like the, the atomic explosion moment because it showed his family how serious he was. And he got kicked out. Um, God took care of him. God watched over him. But then he had the next question. What do I do with my mom and dad now that they're so angry at me? And here's the answer. I said, you honor your mother and father. As far as it depends on you, as long as they're not asking you to do something God wouldn't want you to do, you need to honor your mother and father. So the verse still applies. Exodus 20, 12 still applies because his reason for honoring them isn't based on who they are and how they act, what they believe. It's based on a God he loves. And so God said, I want you to honor your mother and father. And by the way, I want you to know, over the course of time, as far as I know, they never gave their lives to Christ. They did, they did let up, though, because they saw what was happening in his life. They saw the change that was occurring. They, they saw that he was still honoring them in every way he could. 
They saw the excellence he lived by. And uh, so the both verses applied. Did he find uh, uh, a sword uh, between him and his parents because he chose to follow Jesus, a division? Yes. Did he keep honoring his parents? Yes. Are those in contradiction? No. And uh, that's what you'll find whenever you study the Bible. There's no contradiction. By the way, I do want to say this as we get ready to close. One of the things the Bible is clear about from beginning to end is you'll have no other gods before, before the Father. Uh, by the way, that means that you won't put anything above him. He will be number one in your life, your first priority. You'll love him 3,000. Jesus will be the one you serve. That if you had to, you live for him, you die for him. And Jesus said that I want you to know something, that everyone who confesses me before men, I'll confess before my fathers in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my fathers in heaven. And so I want to say right now, if Jesus isn't number one in your life, he loves you. He cares about you. By the way, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God is a God of grace. Like he was for Cain, no matter what Cain had done, God offered and showed grace. He would have to choose to accept it and change. For you, for me, no matter what you've done, God loves you. God wants to, to wash you clean from all your sin through the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ cries out to you that God wants to forgive you. God wants to love you. God wants to care for you. So right now, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus that's real, and the only one that's real is where he's the one you're committed to. He's your Lord and Savior. And he's the one you, you say yes to him. If that's not you, then right now it could be. Just like that young college guy I sat with, he made that decision to follow Christ. By the way, to this day, he doesn't regret it. He's so thankful he did it. It, it allowed him to find God's plan for his life, God's purpose for his life. Some of you need that too. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, would you pray with me a prayer of commitment like I led him in in that moment that changed his life and, was, and made everything better? Even though not always easier, everything was better. Would you pray that prayer with me? And some of you need to pray a prayer to recommit your life to Christ, to come back to him. You know what? I, when I first became a Christian, I lived for Jesus. And then sad to say, if you haven't heard the story, I put Pam ahead of Jesus, which by the way, hurt her badly. Uh, and to this day, we see why you don't do that. And I, I backslid and then I, I recommitted my life and God took me back. Maybe you need to recommit. Maybe you put something ahead of God. It's time to say no more, Lord. I'm going to, I, I will come and live for you. Um, maybe right now, you know, you, you're, you're caught up in some kind of addictive behavior and you want to be free. You know what Jesus is going to say to you? I will set you free, but go and sin no more. You can find freedom. Uh, maybe right now, uh, there's, there's so much fear in your life and anxiety that you're not able to make good decisions. Well, you know what? Find your strength from the Lord and let him give you courage and have him carry you and sustain you because he would love to do that. He would love to do that. And so right now, I, I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. Uh, you could pray it for the first time. You could pray it to recommit. You could pray it to find healing from hurt and pain and cleansing from sin. Uh, you can pray it uh, uh, to, to, to have a healing in a relationship with God and then have him heal other relationships. Maybe your marriage needs healing. Maybe your marriage needs to have Jesus at the center. Pray it this prayer. Pray it together. Right now where you're sitting, pray it together. Maybe your family, maybe friends, 
But whoever it is, whoever you are out there, he knows you by name. He loves you. As I get ready to lead this prayer, I want you to pray it with me. Then remember, Jesus said you need to confess that you've done it. The Bible is clear. You privately make a commitment and then you need to make a public statement that you did it. So I'm going to ask everybody out there right now to grab a phone or an iPad or a computer and, and go to your message, however you do messages. And I want you, if you're going to pray this prayer with me for the first time or to recommit, I want you to confess it, which means I want you to proclaim it. That's what Jesus said you do. Proclaim you've done it and text amen to 69922. Text amen to 69922. And, and when you do that, let me just tell you what's going to happen. We're going to get back to you because we care about you and, and we want to get you some things. We want to send them to you that will help you grow in your walk with the Lord. But see, the minute you get that, let us know who you are, what your decision is. Why? Because Jesus said, anyone who confesses me, anyone who proclaims they did it, he said that I'm going to proclaim that they're mine. So it's a step. It's a step of praying the prayer to make the commandment and making it more real. And something happens when you do it. Praying the prayer matters. Something goes deeper. Something is more impactful when you actually make a statement that I did it. I did it. And let us know. We couldn't be more for you. So that kind of a statement is one we want to have you make. Let us know your commitment. So I'm going to pray for you real quick. And then if you pray that prayer or you're going to pray that prayer, go ahead and text in and, and then we'll pray it together. Let's pray. Father, right now you uh, know who needs to hear the things we shared tonight. You know uh, people who maybe have committed adultery but never really gotten honest about it and gotten forgiveness. You know people who have carried animosity and grudges. And just as uh, Cain held on to hatred and anger. There's some people out there that maybe right now they need to be able to let go of that and they can. They can master it. They can overcome it. They don't have to live in it. How, how good it would feel not to be that angry person, that person holding the grudge. There's some people, Lord, right now who, who uh, they're so unsure of what's coming. It's created insecurity in them, anxiety, and uh, what they can be sure of is you. Just like they can be sure of the Bible, they can be sure of you. So I pray they're going to pray this prayer. I pray for couples that need to have their marriage just blessed and filled with joy, that they'll pray this prayer. So God, right now, Father, right now, you know people by name. You know where they're sitting. I, I can almost though picture a living room with a tan couch and a couple sitting not close to each other on it. And this is their moment. And oh, they could have such a happy marriage. Their kids could get so blessed. I pray for them right now. So Lord, I, I pray. I pray right now for anyone who needs to say yes to you that they're going to pray this prayer with me. So right now, I'm going to ask you to do that. Is Get ready. Let's pray this prayer together. And then I need you to text in amen so we can share it with joy with you in celebration. But pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me. Say, I pray you'll free me from anything that would hold me back or hold me down. But most of all, I pray you'd make me yours. I pray you'd make me alive. And I pray you'd make me brand new. 
So I say yes. If you haven't said anything, I'll say that. I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Which means the truth. It means for real. And it means I mean it. And so all of you who prayed that prayer, praise God. If you haven't yet, text in. Text in and let us know you did it. Uh, We couldn't be more excited for you. We couldn't want more for you. But I want to say this before we have, uh, I want to throw it back in a moment to Casey and Omar. Uh, But let me give you a, a shout out right now, a blessing. May God's spirit be upon you. May his love be in you. May you be filled with joy that's overflowing. And may you know how much you matter to God the Father. And may Jesus truly be your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit, your guide. God bless you until we meet each other again. Well, congratulations to all of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus or be baptized today. And if you texted us to make that decision, be sure to reply with your name so that we can send you a special gift. I also want to invite you to gather with your family and friends to be a part of our family by joining us right here online next week. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30, on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on a new message. And if you guys found yourself thinking, I wish so-and-so was watching this right now, then hit that share button and send it to them so that they can be encouraged. And finally, if your life has been impacted by Crossroads and you want to be part of making an impact all over the world alongside us, you can text GIVING to 69922 to make a financial gift today. Well, thanks again for watching and we'll see you guys next week.